just to give you an idea, Guatemala is a small country. What we need is just to be somebody to take us by the hand a little bit and, and move on. Remember me? I'm Aviva Kutnik, Agriculture Development Officer at USAID, and this is the podcast about making agriculture technologies and other innovative products and services profitable in smallholder markets. This podcast is part of the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation program, implemented by FinTrack, funded by USAID. And this is episode two. And just in case you don't remember, the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation program uses a competitive process and milestone-based grants to de-risk commercial expansion or entry into smallholder markets. The grants help cover the steep upfront costs of entering into these complex markets, ultimately providing new technologies and services to smallholder farmers, contributing to improve food security, nutrition, and resilience in emerging markets. The first podcast episode looked at a partnership in Guatemala called AgroJoven. It is an example of how a private sector partner can link to a publicly funded agriculture development program to the benefit of everybody. Definitely check out that episode if you can. In this episode, We're going to stay in Guatemala for the first half of this episode and then move to Malawi in the second half. So first, I'm going to introduce you to Diego Viteri of Popoyan. Okay, my name is Diego Viteri. I'm from Guatemala and I work for uh, the company Popoyan. We are mainly an agricultural company and uh, we're producers and exporters of uh, different fruits and vegetables like pineapple, tomatoes, and other horticultural crops. Another part of our business is uh, the selling of agricultural inputs, and that's how we started with the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation project. For our customer base, we have pretty much everything that comes from the uh, fruit and vegetable production. They're all mainly uh, bigger uh, clients, like supermarkets, international food chains, or uh, brands. And for the agricultural inputs, we also work with big customers like freezing factories or uh, exporters. And we also work with smallholder farmers, which some of the times there are providers for the exporters, but also they supply the, the local markets. As Diego explained, Popoyan sells horticulture crops and complementary inputs. Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation works with Popoyan to get their non-chemical biological pest control products to the market. I'll just say biologicals from here on out. So yes, to get their biologicals into the market for smallholder farmers. Guatemala is a major supplier of off-season fruits and vegetables to the U.S., particularly sugar snap peas and tomatoes. Considering strong consumer advocacy for safer food in the U.S., alongside of official U.S. safety regulations, chemical residue from pesticides cannot be above certain limits when imported here. Sometimes this means entire shipments of fruits or vegetables are rejected, especially because pesticide overuse can be quite common. Biologicals, simply put, are an effective, low-cost product to reduce the need to use chemical pest control, 
ultimately saving money from rejected exports. Pesticide overuse causes illnesses to many farmers and their families. They prefer biologicals for their own health and safety. Biologicals also increase productivity on their farms. Popoyan has both large corporate customers and smallholder farmer customers. Here's what Diego has to say about the latter. And for the smallholder farmers, it's more about selling and a lot of marketing. It needs a lot more cultural change in the product. So you have to be really on the field and understanding their needs and their way of thinking and how, what what are the key points for them to make a purchase. They have to see it in order to believe it. So uh, the way we're working right now is we're developing a demonstration plot where we use our products in different, with different crops. We are implementing our products and we're having a, a witness demonstration plot right next to it so they can come here and then just see with their eyes the difference between one plot and the other one. And we have the leader within the community who is uh, giving them their testimony, sometimes even in their native language because uh, language can sometimes be also a barrier in the region that we work. So pretty much it's showing them the results of the product and, and train them on how to use it because it's a completely different approach to the way that they're used to working nowadays. Behavior changes among smallholder farmers need to happen by, well, as Diego said, seeing is believing. The point I'm trying to make here is that Breaking into smallholder markets from a commercial perspective includes marketing techniques similar to training and technical assistance that development practitioners often do, like demonstration plots, needs assessments, etc. Most farmers learn by comparing products, seeing the side-by-side results, especially if they are comparing the differences on their neighbors' fields who may be using a new product or service. It shows them whether it is effective or not, and thus, is it worth the money to purchase? Let's hear more about how Popoyan is doing this. Diego, back to you. A lot of the times we're working with, uh, with farmers that have had barely a high school degree, so you have to be creative on how to convince them on, on use the product and how to uh, have them use in the correct way. You know? We have been working with this technology for almost around 10 years, specifically with the biological agents. And we have been using it in our crops and we have been working with other big farmers for a while now. So now the idea was to bring this to the smallholder farmers, which was a new market, which we weren't in. Uh, it's a completely different approach to the way that they're used to working nowadays. Well, at the end, uh, we're a for-profit company, so it's, it's all about making it profitable in the long run. But uh, actually, the way we started is that a lot of these technologies we have been developing uh, on our own and searching them internationally. And since we are producers, we know the needs of the producers. We know we've been through it, we've made the mistakes, we've been learning over and over. And so since we have all this experience, we can make this experience through the products part of the business and just trying to make it grow. And you can really see it, it also has a, a huge impact in the regions. So. so basically, as I mentioned earlier, 
Taking Popoyan's biological product to the smallholder market is a component of their business that the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation program is collaborating on. We support Popoyan to commercialize their biological products that combat agricultural pests and diseases, ultimately helping farmers to be more productive. This is what Diego has to say about this. Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation was uh, a great tool that could help us uh, bring this technology to the field. And in a certain way, it, uh, it helps us accelerate the market penetration because we can come out to the field with a lot more resources than maybe we could do it on our own. And so it makes it a lot more interesting because it reduces the risks and the time to uh, bring the product to the field. Diego's father, Francisco Viteri, has actually been with Popoyan for much longer. I'm the manager of Agropecuaria Popoyan, uh, being that position for 30 years. Francisco knows his customer, the Guatemalan smallholder farmer, and his know-how drives Popoyan's social mission alongside their business model. By understanding this mostly untapped market, Popoyan succeeds in selling improved seeds for horticulture crops and their biological pest controls. Let's hear more from Francisco. This market is still in the hands on, uh, of uh, small uh, household farmers. We met many of these guys uh, all on the field, and we decided to go ahead and, and work with them. Looking at our customers is that uh, tomato growers are farmers that are used to face a lot of problems on their crop. Tomatoes is a very fast-growing crop. It's very susceptible to diseases, pests, climate. So uh, if you want to be a tomato grower, you need to be someone that uh, is looking forward, somebody that really needs to move fast. And that was really uh, something that uh, really opened our eyes. Uh, they were willing to invest. Tomato is, a, is, is I would say, is a high-value crop, even at the very small Scale farmers is, is, is a very high value crop, at least in, in Guatemala and in Central America. The price on the tomatoes could be, just as a reference, be 100 or it could be 10. But overall, it's a, it's a really high, 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 high value crop where people can make uh, quite a bit of money. Hmm. So Popoyan first saw a market opportunity in working with smallholder farmers by developing and selling improved tomatoes. With improved tomatoes, they reasoned that farmers would grow and sell more tomatoes. So why wouldn't they want to buy them? Of course, the assumption here becomes that smallholders would readily adopt the new variety. Luckily, they could take that know-how to biologicals. And let's hear about this lesson in commercializing the improved tomato seeds in a smallholder market. Francisco? Problems came. The first problem that we found was that actually these plants are very different than the transplants that the farmers were used to. In a, in a sense that these, these plants are really fast growing plants and they need a little bit more care and they need actually in order to continue and maximize the benefits, a follow up on, on, on all the agricultural practices. And then what happened was, okay, big surprise, you know, we planted a, a, a plot and the first week that thing was dead. It was very hard to go and face a farmer 
when they go and uh, you give them something, and uh, the first week after you give it to them, they say, hey, what you brought, this doesn't work. Your product is bad product. And actually, <laughs> that uh, happened to us many, many times, and believe me, I'm talking many years ago. This happened many times, and then we started opening our eyes. We needed to face the crude reality. What is happening? The worst thing that somebody can tell you is, okay, you, you promised something that doesn't work, but uh, the first thing that uh, we were doing is, it's not my fault. It's your fault, you know? You didn't put the fertilizer the way you should ha have. It's your fault, not my fault. That was key to turn around all our line of thinking. We need to face the true reality. And then we, when we start digging and finding out, it turns out to be that the farmers didn't know how to do it. But whose responsibility is to teach the farmer how to do it? If I'm interested in selling a product, it's my responsibility. So what did Popoyan do? They started finding out what the farmers needed in order to grow better tomatoes. They learned that their marketing efforts needed to include education that would promote behavior change among their smallholder farmer customers. Sound familiar? Perhaps to a needs assessment. Uh, we sit with uh, many of them and, and have long chats uh, on you know, what, what, what do you feel, what do you see, what do you don't see, and that. And we learned something that is very important is never, 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 ever, ever underestimate a farmer. People can do things that you cannot imagine that someone can do first. And second, when you're talking to the farmers and the people that are really doing the job, you really learn how to sell your product. We can have the best of the best of the technologies, but if, if the farmer doesn't see a benefit on that, we can flip it over many times and do whatever we want. But if they don't see a benefit, they will not adopt it. Technology to me is like a sharp knife. If you use it nicely, it's beautiful to cut fruit, vegetables. It just goes really smooth. But if you use it badly, it can cut your, your nails, your finger, your hand, and your throat. So we have to be very careful. And now what is really neat on the tomatoes is that we have a technological package for every production system. Okay, like those really fancy automated greenhouses, those are for one segment. But we do have a package, and it is really something that is our largest uh, customer base, small holders, farmers. Thanks, Francisco and Diego. So I'm actually going to jump into another example of directly partnering with a company in a totally different part of the world, Malawi. I'll introduce Jean Pankuku of Universal Industries and Mark Sevier from Fintrack, the agriculture development firm that manages the Partnering for Innovation program. My name is Jean Pankuku. I'm uh, working for Universal Industries as a food uh, technologist and mainly responsible for all the technical issues and product development. So, just like the program does for Popoyan, as Diego said... Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation that helps us accelerate the market penetration. We are doing the same with Universal Industries Limited in Malawi and the Orange Flesh Sweet Potato, which I'll go ahead and refer to as OFSP for short. 
Universal is sourcing OFSP from smallholder farmers. As they source more potatoes, farmers have a larger market to sell these OFSP and still retain some of this vitamin A rich food source for their own households. In Malawi, vitamin A deficiency is widespread, particularly among expecting mothers and children under five years of age. This can lead to compromised immune systems, blindness, and is associated with stunted growth. Just half a cup of boiled or mashed orange sweet potatoes meets the daily intake needs for a child under five years of age. So the company started diversifying and getting involved into agriculture and agro-processing and getting involved into production of uh, or processing of nutritional foods. And this came into life when in 2013 the company launched the first instant porridge. Uh, and it's fortified, it's a nutritional product, and then the company also diversified into soya processing. So basically it's got a motto that says, our main slogan, you know, of adding value to locally produced crops, you know, to the supermarket, uh, to the supermarket shelf. And then when we started looking at the nutritional part, we were like, okay, providing nutrition to the nation. Because, yeah, I mean, we see that the needs of the people are changing. You're not just focusing on the biscuits. You also look at what is really that the people are looking for. So we had to diversify anyway. So we went into soya processing and, you know, we, we looked at other value chains as well. So that's when we started uh, working on um, new product development. It was not very easy initially to convince the people you're working with my management, like, I mean, when you go into product development, it's costly also. You may have to look at some new equipment and all that. It was very easy for us to take it off at the beginning. And so when the opportunity came, you know, with the Fit the Future, when we saw the call for proposal, and then sweet potato, orange fish sweet potato specifically, was one of the value chains that they were considering. We saw that as an opportunity, so we, we took advantage of that, we applied, and fortunately the concept was accepted. And so that's how, you know, the whole thing was escalated, and yeah, we started working on the project. We found the idea intriguing because it was creating market incentives for farmers to produce more OFSP for the food security and nutrition reasons that both Aviva and Jean mentioned. The business case is clear too. Universal's track record along with their plan to develop OFSB crisps or chips and baked goods fit the market. The former because they already had the machinery, the latter because wheat flour was actually more expensive to import than sweet potato flour and puree. This is because the majority of wheat flour in Malawi is imported. Exactly. So bakeries, Universal's customer for the processed sweet potato puree and flour, can make healthier and cheaper breads and buns, translating to profit for Universal, high returns for bakeries, and even more accessible vitamin A products for consumers. So Jean, tell us about the products that you're working on through our partnership. So at the moment, the uh, potato crisps we found, it was easier for us to to take it to the market because we already have a, la a line for 
you know, potato chips or potato crisps. And so we, we could use the same facilities. And so that was launched in 2016, I think around March, April. Okay, so for us, uh, because we are not into the great industry, and so we are working with um, the existing bakeries. And, you know, these bakeries will be our customer because we will be supplying them uh, sweet potato puree. So the, the arrangement is that we'll be processing sweet potato puree, supplying to the bakeries, and the bakeries now will be using the puree with the other ingredients for the bread to make bread that will be sold in, you know, in the bakery shops and so many other areas. And you know with the bakery products like the bread and buns, they're very common for both the rural and, and urban markets. So we thought that's, that's another product that we can use to reach out to so many people. And with that, we are using even up to 40%, which where you can get at least a considerable amount of vitamin A. And then um, for our own you know, processing lines, because we are so much into the biscuit production, we have come up with a special uh, sweet potato biscuits, uh, which we are calling Maggio. Maggio is the local name, and it basically means, you know, having lots of good food like to eat. But at the same time, we'd want to use as much of um, of the sweet potato into the other existing lines. Like we have other lines where we're using cassava flour, uh, you know, just to reduce on the on the wheat, you know, flour, which is more expensive, but it's imported. So for the sweet potato, we want also to use the puree to substitute some wheat flour in other, you know, biscuit lines. And when we substitute the sweet potato puree uh, for the biscuits, we don't only save or we don't only substitute on the wheat flour so what happens because of the color the natural color that these sweet potatoes have we find that we don't have to use another color in our biscuits like we do with the other biscuits and at the same time our sugar you know usage is reduced because these are sweets already so you've got more advantage you know if you have to uh, use sweet potato in, in our business and that's the how we would want to make sure that we use as much of the sweet potato as possible. So it sounds like you are developing several OFSP products for the retail market. Those are crisps or chips and the biscuits. You're also developing a puree that you sell to commercial bakeries and then those bakeries produce another retail product. So OFSP is also improving your existing product lines with a nutritious, colorful substitute for wheat flour, sugar, and also for some chemical color additives, fortificants, and premixes. So you can see that from, you know, way sweet potato wasn't regarded as anything that you can, you know, come up with any value-added products. Now it's, you know, it's been promoted and people are aware of the benefits and now the, you know, taking it on board that, okay, I think this is something that we can use to address the issues of, uh, you know, uh, malnutrition. 
When I visit you in Malawi for partnership management activities, I definitely see the value, the better for farmers because they'll continue to have an expanding market for OFSP. They will also see the nutritional benefits of eating surplus OFSP and they'll have access to the breads and buns. Uh, we are looking at different market segments. Uh, for the different products that we are developing, uh, we are going to target the different markets and they will be packaged in a way that they should suit the different um, market segments. So uh, in terms of the pack size, just the design itself, we want to come up with products that would suit the rural masses because that's the major, I mean, they would form... 80% uh, of the population, but then we are also targeting the upper market. And so the difference will be mainly uh, in, the, in the way you present uh, the product. So it can suit in the different uh, uh, market segments. At the same time, we are also looking at marketing these products to uh, different institutions that are involved in nutritional projects. So, okay, WFP is one of them. On a yearly basis, they are involved in distributing some, you know, nutritional uh, specialized foods, you know, food supplements. We are hoping uh, that we are going to develop products that will be able to meet the standards for uh, such kind of uh, nutritional projects. That makes sense. The market linkage is clear. And to me, the sustainability is also clear as Universal keeps seeing profits and will remain in the market to purchase the OFSB. You know, being a private sector or being a private company, uh, that's also a challenge because people look at you as, okay, profit making and not necessarily that uh, the role that we want to play in providing nutrition to the nation, which is our mission as a company as well. That's a mistake. And this is why we need ways to work directly with your company to help you meet commercial objectives and reach Feed the Future objectives, such as improved nutrition and smallholder farmer income. So the role of Universal basically will be to provide a market and develop products from the orange fresh sweet potatoes and commercialize them and make them available uh, throughout the country, even to, you know, the supermarkets where, because mostly the sweet potato is grown, it's found in the rural areas. So for our company, we are diversifying and like I mentioned that, you know, that they how you can reduce your cost of production by using sweet potato in our products. You know, especially because this is locally available and so we just have to make the best use of it. So we are expanding on our product line, but we are also just adding variety, you know, to what we have already. And like I said, if we have enough supplies to be able to use the sweet potatoes, you know, consistently throughout the year, we should be able to get, you know, enough margins, maybe increase our margins on our, you know, on our products when we reduce the cost of production. And for the farmer as well, like I mentioned, like earlier, the farmers have been selling the sweet potatoes locally, no standards, measurement, nothing. You just sell according to the, what you need on that day. And if you compare now at the prices that we are buying, you know, that we are giving the farmers, uh, in a number of places, it's even, you know, like three times higher 
than what they get when they sell on the local market. At the same time, like we buy them in big, in large volumes at once, so the farmers are able to get more money that they can be able to use, you know, maybe buying inputs for the next season, as opposed to when they sell, you know, in small, small quantities uh, locally, they don't really use that much, you know, with that small money that they can get. So. Yeah, the farmer is benefiting, and we are also benefiting. Just to play devil's advocate, there are many challenges. Yeah, so uh, basically, like, you know, in working with smallholder farmers, we have to understand that, you know, when we, when we started, it was like we were starting. We didn't have any, like, any information available, you know, as for the country. And even the production levels for OFSB, they're still on the lower side. If you compare with the local varieties, or the yellow ones, or the white ones, which are available. And uh, the other thing that we have to understand is that when NGOs were, you know, uh, approaching us to say, okay, the farmers are having excess, the quantities that they were looking at as excess they were not really like huge quantities like that what, what we'll be looking for as an industry or as you know as a big company to process. And so we are still building up, you know, the production levels. And you know, you still have uh, farmers some a number of farmers still preferring the local varieties for different reasons. But now that they know that there is a market for this, they may like the white fresh ones for the reasons, but if they want to make money, now they're growing the oil for school. And so you find that even on the markets, the orange fresh sweet potato roots fetch much higher price than the white fresh uh, sweet potato roots. So OFSP has the power to provide nutrition in both rural households and in urban markets. It's pretty powerful and a model that other countries can benefit from. But the market needs to be there and companies need capital to offset risk of expanding into smaller farmer markets. So what are we learning from these direct private sector partnerships? We just saw two examples and in two very different countries, Guatemala and Malawi, where we are de-risking market entry or expansion of a new product by giving money directly to a company. We have lots of criteria in place, of course, for due diligence and monitoring. There's also a cost contribution from the company itself. And we'll go into much more detail about all of that in a future episode. But the bottom line, as Diego says, the approach can... It helps us accelerate the market penetration because it reduces the risks and the time to uh, bring the product to the fields. Of course, there's a method to the approach, one that matches market needs to potential innovative products and services, and criteria so that any public investment directly into a company incentivizes entry or expansion into a risky, unknown smallholder market. All of this is done with the goal of helping smallholder farmers improve their productivity, market access, and incomes. This is another great story, one that shows how public and private partners can work together in agriculture, food security, and nutrition. 
You can visit Partnering for Innovation at agtech.partneringforinnovation.org. That's agtech.partneringforinnovation.org to get more information and see some great videos of the partnerships we talked about today. Special thanks to Francisco and Diego from Popoyan, Jean from Universal, and of course, Mark from Partnering for Innovation. This episode of the Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation podcast was narrated by me, Aviva Kutnick, produced by Laura Ostenso, and fine-tuned by Jamie Holbrook, Ian Stanley, and Bob Rabatsky. Stay tuned for future episodes from our team members about direct commercial partnerships that make technology available and affordable in smallholder markets.